All right, community of faith, how you doing this morning? You ready to start Marriage Toolbox? The next two weekends, we're gonna do just a little mini-series on marriage, but I think it's gonna change your life. Uh, it's gonna, those of you getting ready to get married, those of you that are married, those of you that wanna get married one day, I started out with a, a little quiz that I thought I would ask you, and I want you to you know, tell me A, B, or C on this, all right? And this is, uh, Laura and I have been married 39 years in December, and yeah, we've loved each other fiercely. There's been times we disliked each other fiercely, you know, um, and so it's not by accident that that's happened, and so out of my vast experience, I put together this little quiz. If you're getting ready to get married, uh, this is going to help you a lot, okay? When your wife says, let's not get each other Christmas presents this year, it indicates her desire, A, her desire to share with the less fortunate, B, her thoughtful and realistic interest in the household budget, C, a test to see if you love her enough to forget the suggestion and surprise her with something you'll be paying off until Labor Day. All right. Before answering the question, does this outfit make me look fat? What should a husband always remember? A, his wife's feelings are the most important thing. B, she may have spent hours shopping and putting that outfit together, or C, the couch is lumpy, and when you sleep on it, a spring pokes you in the back. All right. Your husband puts on his high school letter jacket and finds he can no longer snap it up. A wife's best response is, A, maybe it's shrunk. B, I like you a little less skinny. Or C, that jacket would look dumb on an old bald guy anyway. Your spouse is snoring. You should, A, accept it as a minor flaw in an otherwise perfect mate. B, gently nudge him and say, roll over, dear. Or C, put a pair of sweatpants over his head and tighten the drawstring. When riding with your husband on long car trips, use the hours of quiet time to, A, discuss meaningful topics, B, point out the beauty of the scenery, or C, excitedly warn him of impending highway danger that you can barely see as a tiny speck on the horizon. And then the last one, if a long-time married couple is in the shower together, it can only mean, A, they still passionately care about each other, B, their love is spontaneous and exciting, or C, he's grouting some loose tile while she tries to get rid of stubborn soap scum. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe God? Let me just tell you something. If we believe God, we show it. How do we show it? By obeying. We obey. That shows that we believe God. You know, you've read the words of Jesus, and they're pretty much in your face. But I want to offer you today something that's going to change your life. I want to give you a step of obedience, just the first small step. And this is something that I'm gonna offer to you that I think that some of you will look back on this weekend and you will say, that was the weekend where everything changed. But as simple as what I'm gonna offer you is, some of you are gonna spend the whole rest of the service just fighting with yourself in order to do it. So what am I talking about? It's the simplest words of Jesus. Jesus said, I want you to come into relationship with me, and then that first step of obedience, I want you to be 
baptized. Now, we're, we've been planning on baptizing for a couple of months on this weekend, but what you didn't know is that you're going to be the one that gets baptized. You say, what? I feel the confusion in the air. But no, we're, gonna, we're ready for you. The simplest step to obey baptism. So as you think about that, I wanted to put that in your mind at the beginning of this. You say, Mark, I thought we were going to talk about marriage. We are. But marriage and baptism both are symbols of the same thing. And as we get into this today, I think you're going to see what I'm talking about. So I want you to gear up. I want you to get ready because if you've never been baptized as an adult after believing in Jesus, this is your day today. And we'll talk a little bit about that at the end. You know... The dream is to have a marriage that lasts, right? I've heard it said that marriage is made in heaven, but so is thunder and lightning, right? So when we look at the statistics, it it can be kind of jarring, sobering. 41% of first marriages end in divorce. 60% of second marriages end in divorce. 73% of third marriages end in in divorce. It doesn't seem that we're learning anything as we continue on. Almost half of all divorces happen by year seven. And what does it say usually on the divorce papers? What's the reason for it? Incompatibility, right? But I want you to listen to what G.K. Chesterton wrote. Theologian and author G.K. Chesterton said, If we can be divorced for incompatibility, I cannot understand why we are not all divorced. I have known many happy marriages, but never a compatible one. So honestly, marriage is the union of two imperfect people. And because of that, incompatibility is a given. It's a given. We're going to bring vast differences Now, a lot of us have a a picture of marriage. It's kind of like buying a car, you know. It starts out good, but then over time, it kind of gets, you know, old, right? Has that new car smell at first, but then before long, it's got like French fries under the back seat smell if you got kids, right, you know? And, And that's not really a very clear picture of marriage because, like I said, marriage is two imperfect people coming together. So a better picture of marriage is the two of you together with a whole big giant bag of broken parts. And what you do is you spend the rest of your life putting together those broken parts into something beautiful. And I think that's a a, a lot better picture because what we realize is that we're still in a process. We're moving toward something. We're doing something. Okay, Mark, so... What do we do now then, you ask? We're married, we're incompatible, we're stressed. The stress is growing. What do we do to overcome this incompatibility, to build something beautiful out of all the broken parts? And that's what these next two weeks is about. Marriage toolbox, I'm calling it, because we need to get some new tools. What tools do you have right now? Maybe none. Maybe your only tool is to grit your teeth and and try harder. That's not God's plan. You say, really? Really? Just to grit your teeth and and I'm just going to try, I'm going to do the same things I've been doing, only harder. 
No, that's not going to work. We've tried that already. So I want to talk to you about some tools. Today, I want to talk to you about tools of intention. Next week, Laura and I are going to talk to you about tools for dysfunction. And don't miss next week because all of us have some dysfunction that we're bringing into marriage. And in fact, did you know that most of the fights that you have aren't even between the two of you? It's, it's between some things in your past. Even the way you attach to your parents, even the way that you're growing up, some past trauma, some other things that trigger you. You have these triggers that keep coming up and, and you're, that's why your emotions are off the scale. We'll talk about that next week. But this week, I want to talk to you about the purpose of marriage. Because if we don't know God's intention for marriage, we're coming into it with a really flawed understanding of what marriage is all about. The Bible says that marriage is a mystery. It's a mystery. 41% of Americans believe that marriage is becoming obsolete. It's a social artifact that its expiration date has passed. But what if, what if the problem was not marriage, but what if we in our culture, what if we missed the whole point of marriage? What if we didn't understand that marriage contains a meaning and a purpose that's, that's far greater than what we've understood from our culture? Now, don't you just love a good mystery? My, my wife She's so funny because she says, I don't like to watch those, you know, violent movies or those, you know, movies where they're shooting up. I just want to watch real crime. She loves Dateline, you know, and, and I don't really love Dateline, but I do love when Keith Morrison is doing Dateline. I call him the Dr. Seuss of murder. Have you heard him speak? You know, she had a loving husband or did she? Right? And it's always the husband. You just arrest the husband. Get it over with. Right? That's why I, I don't like it. I said, Laura, you need to just write a note. Said it wasn't Mark. You know? So, so just, just to be ready, you know, in case there's some kind of weird accident or something. But the mystery of marriage. And just imagine Keith Morrison doing it. He says, Susie is getting married. Just regular, plain old marriage. So she's married now. And is marriage just regular and plain? Or is it something else? What could possibly go wrong? And you're going, everything, right? So you think about it. And, and so here, here we are. Jesus said the truth will set you free. But he didn't say it wouldn't freak you out, okay? So we've got to be a little bit ready for that. Too. Some of us look around and say, well, at least my relationship's better than that guy over there. But that's kind of like saying, he's drowning in 500 feet of water and we're drowning in 50 feet of water. What's the difference? You're still drowning, right? So what are we going to do about it? How, how, does this, how does this work? Marriage is one of the great mysteries of God. The Bible calls it a profound mystery. Why? Because it's connected to God's design, his plan, his ultimate purpose for the universe. Did you know that? I mean, long before the fall of man, God had planned this out, that marriage was going to represent something, that marriage was going to show something. He called marriage this symbol that is pointing toward something. Let me just read you what 
the Bible says. It says this in Ephesians 5.25 and following. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Paul here in Ephesians, he quotes that verse about leave your father and mother and be joined to your wife. That was back in Genesis that was written. Moses wrote that. But what Paul is saying is even when Moses wrote that, even in Adam and, when Adam and Eve did that, they still had no understanding of really what it meant. It wasn't until Jesus came on the scene that it all began to come together. It had been pointing towards something, how Jesus loved his church and gave himself up for his church. It's pointing to that relationship. You know, if there's one thing I've learned about God, he never does anything by accident. He always does things on purpose. And when God created marriage, he didn't roll the dice or draw straws and say, hey, maybe it should look like this. He patterned marriage very purposefully so that it would reflect the relationship between Christ and his church, which he planned from eternity past. And he also planned that marriage would be the training ground that would help us learn how to rule and reign with Christ forever. You're not gonna be on a, a cloud playing a harp for billions of years. That's not what heaven is. He says, you're gonna be an overcomer and you are gonna rule and reign with me forever. I don't know what all that means, but it's gonna be spectacular. It's gonna be amazing. You know, I've had a lot of people say, you know, we lived together and things seemed okay. Then we got married. It was like all hell broke loose. Exactly. Because you see, you have an enemy who hates marriage because it symbolizes how much God loves us. And so it's just kind of like before you were a believer, it seemed like, oh, things are rocking along. But then you step into being a believer and it's like all hell breaks loose. Exactly. I'm not one of those pastors that says, why don't you come to Jesus because, you know, your life is all messed up and you come to Jesus and it's just going to be perfect. That's not what Jesus said. He said, when you come to me, you need to understand something. You're going to have trouble. You're going to experience trials and tribulations. You have an enemy that's going to come against you. And I want you to realize like you're in a war say, well, that kind of describes my marriage. It's like a war, you know? But let me tell you what, what Jesus meant, what he wants for us, what God has in mind for us. If we're gonna understand that, we have to understand the cost of marriage. The cost. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. If there's one thing I can say with confidence about every marriage in this place or those of you that have been married in the past, 
there was no way that you understood the cost of marriage before you stepped into it. Because it's costly. It's costly. Jesus talked to his disciples about marriage one day. And when he had finished, they said this, then who in their right mind would get married? And that's a really good question. Who in their right mind would get married? Jesus, if this is what marriage is, who would do it? But you see, that's the tricky thing. We're, we're really not in our right mind. Um, we have this little thing called love, and um, it kind of it fools us. In fact, our brain makes oxytocin, which is the, the, the cuddle hormone, you know, produces dopamine, produces endorphins. And, and basically, the only reason you got married is because your body drugged you into it, Right? And, and those things, they don't last like that. that. That's what you call romance. You know, that's what you call that, that honeymoon stage. And even secular psychiatrists tell us that it's not until that honeymoon stage goes away that we can really begin to love each other. At the wedding, a bride and groom may have gone through the motions of lighting a unity candle. It's such a sweet thing, you know, so cute. So they have this one candle in the middle, you know, they each have a candle and um, I've seen all kinds of things happen, you know, where they're supposed to both light that candle and they, I always say, now turn your head and blow that out. They forget sometimes and so they blow out theirs and it blows out that one. And I go, oh, not a good start, you know. But that unity candle symbolizes two becoming one. It's cute. It's touching. But it's a whole different matter when the pressures of two people becoming one actually come into play when the flame that must be extinguished is not the flicker of a cute little candle but the blistering inferno of self-will and independence it's a whole different thing in the dream world all our, our our pleasant little fantasies of the world revolving around us that's our dream world marriage explodes like a bomb because it's not about you Marriage wages an unrelenting guerrilla warfare against selfishness. No one has ever been married that has not been shocked by the enormity of the price and the, the monstrous inconvenience of this thing called intimacy suddenly invading one's life. Had no idea what we signed up for. One man put it like this, marriage is a constant death and resurrection, dying to my selfish interest and coming to life as I promote the interests of my spouse. Listen to how author Mike Mason puts it. One of the chief characteristics of real love, it asks for everything, not just a little bit or a whole lot, but for everything. There is no one who is not broken by this process. So if you feel broken today, you're just part of the human race, all right? It is excruciating, inexorable. No one can stand up to it. Everyone gets broken on the wheel of love and the breaking that takes place is like nothing else under the sun. It's not like the breaking of losing a job or having even a, a terrible illness. But in the case of those who see it through marriage, see it through the end, the ruin that occurs is not in the place of love, although it might seem to be happening there, but rather in the place of ego. See, the Lord God 
made woman out of man's side. It says he opened up man's side and created woman. And marriage is him, again, opening us up and placing woman back into that place so that we are one together, equals together, and it's a wound. It's excruciating. It's difficult. Those things, men, that you thought, oh, this is my own private territory, my own body, that's what's being invaded. In the same way that Jesus takes us to himself, united us in him all our life long and forever. It's the same picture. When marriages break up, it sends a false narrative to our children. It says the father's heart can't be trusted. And America has failed the last several generations of children because we've shown them that marriage was intended to be such a faithful, loyal, unbreakable bond between a husband and wife that it would demonstrate the faithfulness of a God to his church. They would understand the security of the faithful heart of a heavenly father. And staying married isn't about staying in love. It's about keeping covenant with one another. What Laura and I have found is that the secret is not staying in love. The secret is keeping covenant and love, those feelings, they follow that. But there are profound cultural implications to divorce. Listen to what those under 30, all the statistics show. They show that they believe that God is distant, that God has abandoned me, that I don't trust God, I don't need God. Only two in 10 Americans under 30 believe attending a church is important or worthwhile, and it's declining. 59% of those under 30 raised in a church have dropped out. 35% of those under 30 have an anti-church stance, believing the church does more harm than good. Under 30s are the least likely age group of anyone to attend church by far. Listen to a song, a poem by one of the prophets of that generation. I wait for the postman to bring me a letter. I wait for the good Lord to make me feel better. And I carry the weight of the world on my shoulders. A family in crisis that only grows older. Why'd you have to go? Why'd you have to go? Why'd you have to go? Daughter to father, daughter to father, I am broken, but I am hoping. Daughter to father, daughter to father, I am crying. A part of me's dying. These are the confessions of a broken heart. I wear all your old clothes, your polo sweater. I dream of another you, one who would never, never leave me alone to pick up the pieces. A daddy to hold me, that's what I needed. So why'd you go? Daughter to father, daughter to father, I don't know you, but I still want to. Daughter to father, daughter to father, tell me the truth. Did you ever love me? These are the confessions of a broken heart. Written by Lindsay Lohan. Now you think, that cute little girl, you know, she was, what happened? What happened? We see what happened to her, right? You understand? What's wrong? Our marriages are failing the next generation. Because marriage is, 
not a, a joining of two worlds, but an abandoning of two worlds and creating a whole new world. In this sense, the call to be married bears comparison to Jesus' call to leave everything and come follow him. It requires a total abandonment of our selfishness, of our ways. We abandon my desires, my plan, my time, and change them to our desires, our plans, our time. I want you to see the truth of marriage, not just the cost of marriage, but the truth of it. Marriage is so incredibly impossible that it could have been invented only by God. It could be carried out only by means of his power as we give ourselves over to his will every step of the way. See, the foundation of marriage isn't love. The foundation of marriage is vows, vows that we make, covenant that we make with one another. A, a vow, it, it's not like the signing of a legal contract. It, in fact, it's not like any other human promise. A person can promise, a person really cannot promise to love another person. They can only vow to do so. To keep a vow is to devote the rest of one's life to discovering what that vow means and to be willing to change and grow accordingly. This is pretty tough stuff, I know. Listen to Mike Mason again. Love is an exclamation mark, but the vows ask a question. How bright is the sun, exclaims love, but the vows ask, how dark a night are you prepared to pass through? Marriages that are dependent on good feelings fall apart. Marriages that consistently look back to their vows, those wild promises made before God, and to trust him to make sense out of them, find a continual source of strength and renewal. The vows hold marriage together. It's not emotion that holds marriages together. It's covenant. And it's really important that we understand that because in our culture today, it, 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 that flies in the very face of everything that we've ever been taught. Dick Hill, who's on our staff, is one of my heroes. He was married to his amazing wife, Dot. She was one of those people that just lit up a room. But for the last, basically, decade of her life and their marriage, she was sick and she got sicker and sicker until she was eventually left bedridden and unable to care for herself but dick took care of her i want you to hear what he said about his marriage i was chosen to be the one who would love her and be loved by her god is perfect in his plan for us when you love someone who needs you there is a depth of love unimaginable Everything that the world thinks is important seems so temporal. What you drive, what color you paint your room, what you wear, and on and on. But to be able to kiss her face every day is joy unspeakable. It's a treasure to come into a room and have a faint voice whisper, I love you. The heart can hardly contain it. I would choose that life again and again and again. I've been so blessed. It's important to know in marriage that there's always a way out. Now, the way out is not divorce, no matter how bad things may get. The way out, we have to return to an attitude of total abandonment, of 
throwing our natural caution and defensiveness to the wind, putting ourselves entirely into the hands of love, a loving father, and stepping into those vows. Instead of falling into love this time, maybe you have to grit your teeth and march into it. So I'm not saying that there's not some gritting of teeth. What I'm saying is we have to understand why we're doing it because if you're just doing it, I'm gonna try harder, I'm gonna try harder. No, there's a purpose to it. God put marriage together for a reason. To put it simply, marriage always turns out to be more than we bargained for. I mean, it's disturbingly intense, disruptively involving, but that's exactly how God designed it to be. Exactly. It's supposed to be more almost than we can handle. It was meant to be a lifelong encounter that would be much more rigorous and demanding than anything human beings would have ever chosen for themselves. That's what God intended marriage to be. Marriage, it's an amazing human parable of what it means to become a Christian. It means to put all your eggs in one basket, to go for broke, just like you did when you stepped into that relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm trusting you. I'm putting all that I am with you to bet all the marbles. It's what Jesus did on the cross for us. It's what we do when we step into that journey with him. Love is more than the way we practice for the world to come. It is the world to come. When we begin to get that, when we begin to understand that, our whole perspective changes. See, we thought that we were supposed to get married to meet all our needs. We thought it was going to be this thing where this other person came in and just met all of our needs. But that's not what the Bible says marriage is. It's this covenant that we enter together that's excruciating, that's difficult. You know, Scott Peck said that life is difficult and when we finally can grasp that concept, it becomes a little less difficult just knowing that that's the truth. And that's the main thing I wanna get across to you this morning, that marriage is difficult. In fact, I would dare say Apart from the grace of God, it's almost impossible. Apart from God moving in our life and in our marriage, it's almost impossible. Apart from being completely sold out to him, both of us, and dedicating ourselves completely to him, it's almost impossible. You see a few that make it, but sometimes it's just kind of more of a partnership. What Laura and I have today is more beautiful and more amazing than anything I can imagine. And if you would have asked me at year five, I would have thought, I think I might have made a terrible mistake because we're so incompatible. We're so different. And little did I know, I also had ADHD really bad and uh, she had some trauma and stuff in her life that, you know, and, and you put all of that stuff, those broken parts together, it was excruciating in those early years. But as we continue to walk with God and be filled with his spirit and he began to, to move in each of us and grow us, we grew toward God, but we grew toward 
each other in this amazing way that's become the sweetest thing by far in our lives. I, I dream, I want, I desire for you that you would have a relationship like Laura and I do. But it wasn't easy. It didn't just happen. And we got counseling and we were on our face before God and we had ups and downs. We had all kinds of things. But God is preparing you to rule and to reign, to be an overcomer. It's some of that same relationship that you have with Jesus. And that's why I compare it to baptism. You know, baptism is simple, but it's so deep. A lot of the deepest things in our life are simple. They're, they're, they're simple. Jesus commanded his disciples before he left the earth in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. He said this. Listen to Jesus' words. They're in red in my Bible. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Baptism, like marriage, tells a story. You know, when you go out into the baptismal pool, which we're going to do in just a few minutes, what I do is you're saying, because you're getting in that pool, I'm giving everything that I am to Jesus. All that I am is his I put all my eggs in one basket. This relationship is what matters. And I say, based on this profession that you've made, I baptize you, my brother or my sister, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism. And you go under the water. And depending on the life you've lived, sometimes we sing three or four hymns while you're under there. No, we don't do that. Because it's not, it doesn't, it's not about getting like, I got to clean myself up. I've got a lot of stuff to do. No, it's, it's the beginning. God's going to clean you up just like he's going to work in your marriage. And so I take you underwater and I says, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk as the water streams off of you in a brand new life. And everybody cheers and is excited, but that's a beginning point. How can you? claim to be a follower of Jesus but you say no I'm not going to do the very first thing that you asked me to do see that's that's the question and it's a simple thing and it doesn't make sense to our modern minds but it's an important thing because God asks us to do it See, if he had asked you to do something hard, you would have done it. If he had said, what I need you to do, I, I climb Mount Everest and plant a flag that says, I'm God's, you would have figured out a way to do it. I know you. But when he says, what I need you to do before you get started, I want you to dip underwater because it tells a story that I want to tell the world. And you go, no, I'm not going to do that. That just seems silly to me. But it's not silly to God. God's saying, there's a story that's being told in marriage. It's a covenant. I want you to keep it. There's a story that's being told in baptism. I want you to do it. 
as a follower of me. You know, we've kind of watered down baptism in so many of our traditions. You know, there's, there's a, a, let me just tell you a few ways that we've done that. One is, so many churches, you get baptized to join the church. That's not what baptism is. It's not joining the church. Baptism is saying, I give all that I am to Jesus. So when I take you out there, you know, some of you go, I don't know if I want to be a member of community of faith and get baptized. Well, you know what? We don't know if we want you either, all right? If I don't know you that well yet, you know? But I'm not asking you to get baptized into community of faith. I'm asking you to get baptized and say, I'm baptized, getting baptized into Jesus, into all that he means and all that he wants and everything that he has for me. I'm doing this full out. It's not about joining a church. That's why I love that we're multi-denominational. And you never have to change your denominational label to be a part of community of faith. I had a good friend that passed away this week, Bob Kosman. Bob Kosman died this week, and I used to call him Catholic Bob because he was the most Catholic guy, and, and he's a member of the Knights of Columbus, but he started coming to our church, and, uh, you know, he, he's still Catholic. His grandmother doesn't have to roll over in her grave, but he came into a relationship with Jesus Christ here in a powerful way. I started out counseling him and his wife, his ex-wife, and um, he thought, he said, I don't know about this guy. I think he's some kind of a cult leader or something, you know? And he would tell me that to my face. It wasn't like he was not opinionated, all right? And we got, but we got to be such good friends as I just continued to walk with him and live life with him. I'll never forget the day, the first day he took communion. He didn't do it during the regular time. He came after the service and he walked up to me and I was looking at him and he had that little wafer in his hand. He goes, all right, Mark, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. And he's looking for lightning stuff, you know. He was funny because he had cancer and I prayed over him and anointed him with oil and God gave him a lot more time. God did this amazing thing and took a lot of it away. But when I was anointing him with oil, he's going, it's burning. You know, I said, if anybody was burning, it's gonna be you, right? When, but he's in heaven. He's celebrating with my mom and dad they, they spent a lot of funny times together out in the lobby, and I just bet that was the most amazing reunion. Another way that we water it down. So you don't have to change your denominational label at all. If you're Catholic, stay Catholic till the day you die. If you're Baptist, stay Baptist. I don't know why you want to, but you can, you know. Presbyter- I always kid Baptists. Okay, Baptists can take it, right? Presbyterian, Methodist, Methepiscopal, Pres, I don't care what, you know. This is a community of faith and we're all in this together. Another, I was baptized as a baby. Well, that's great. I think that's a beautiful symbol. But that wasn't you getting baptized on purpose because you don't even remember it. If you do, it was probably really frightening, you know? That was your mom and dad and the pastor or priest saying, we're gonna raise this child up in the church. You know what? Believer's baptism Over 20 times in the book of Acts, it talks about baptism. Every time it was after someone stepped into relationship with Christ. After they understood, whether they were a teenager or or whether they were an adult, whatever. But it was adult baptism. And so what we do at Community of Faith, it just brings it full circle. 
That baby baptism is an awesome thing, but that's not what it's talking about. It's saying, I choose to give everything that I am to Jesus. And again, if we're going to be a follower of him, shouldn't we do the first simple thing that he asked? And I see some of you, you're kind of bowing up a little bit, right? It's not from me. I'm not, I'm not the one that came up with baptism. I don't even understand it completely. It's what Jesus asked us to do. And so we're going to do that. We've got to go God's way, right? To be a follower of Jesus is to fully obey his clear instructions. You know, so don't wait until you feel like you're worthy to be baptized. I got to clean myself up. No, that's what he does. We come just as we are. Jesus did it all on the cross. We receive what he did on the cross for us. And we step into that. All our eggs in one basket. And we say, yes, yes. I'm going to do this. So what's stopping you from getting baptized today? What is it? Well, don't I need to go through some training or something? That's, you don't see that in the Bible. The Bible says Peter preached and 3,000 people said yes to Jesus and they got baptized right then. It also says when it's talking about this Ethiopian guy that Philip, the disciple, was talking to, he, he said, you know, I want you to follow Jesus. And they're riding along in this chariot and they see some water and the unit goes, there's water. Can I get baptized? And Philip goes, sure, let's do it. All in that moment. Well, I want to pray about it, Mark. Are you going to pray about murdering someone on the way home? See, here's the thing. It's a clear command. When there's a clear command in the Bible, let me pray. Jesus said, do it. I wonder if I should do it. Let me pray. If he, No, it's a clear command in the Bible. Just like marriage is a commitment. It's based on vows. It's clear instruction. You don't pray about things that God has clearly told you. You obey them. Well, I just need to take some time. That just means you're trying to talk yourself out of it, right? If it's the right thing to do, it's the right thing to do. And if it's the right thing to do, now's the right time to do it not later on. And some of you have some really practical concerns, you know, like, well, I didn't come prepared. Well, we're prepared for you. You get a cool t-shirt like this, you get some shorts. We have underwear, we have everything. You don't even have to get your underwear soggy to go home, okay? And you can go out there and there's some safe places to change. Some of you are going like, I, don't, I mean, if I'm not like the first one, isn't the water gonna be dirty? We thought about you already, you know, because some of you are like germaphobes and we have industrial strength cleaners in our baptistry to keep your little self clean, okay? Some of you are going, well, what about my kids? Your kids are over. Our, our kids, folks, they, they, they know that. They know about this. Your kids are fine. They will keep your kids for you. You come pick them up next week, okay? What about my stuff? We have people out there with badges and guns that will guard your stuff, okay? There's really not anything that keeps us from doing this. No excuse. Some of you are sitting on the fence. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, when I come back, I'm going to know that. 
you say, well, I'm not ashamed of Jesus. I just don't want to, I, I just don't want to, I, 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 listen, I love you. I understand how hard it is. I understand how humiliating it might feel to you. Some of you go, my hair gets all frizzy and it's going to look stupid, you know. But Jesus went to the cross for us. And he says, all I need you to do to step in this with me, I want you to go underwater. Would you close your eyes with me? Today's your day. Whether we're talking about marriage or we're talking about baptism, it's a time to commit ourselves. I'm going to stand with you, Jesus. I belong to you, Jesus. Father, we're not very good at humbling ourselves. We're not very good at bowing low before you. But what it means to follow you means to take you as Lord, to say, I am choosing your way. For some of us, the very best thing we could ever do for our marriage is to step into you full out because you give us the power to do the design that you had for marriage, to show the world how much you love us, to show our children that you're faithful. God, would you just enable us in these next few minutes to just be strong and to step into this with all that we are? You're the one that's got to do it. We can't do it. God, as we continue to learn these tools, that you would just ingrain them on us. But let us realize that you have a design for everything that you've asked. It's not by accident. It's not by accident. We will follow you. We choose to follow you. We will obey. And we will watch your plan unfold like it has for Laura and for me to become the most beautiful things in our lives as we walk with you and have relationship with you and obey you. Give us the courage to take the first right small step this morning into our marriage, but also for those of us that haven't been baptized into you with all that we are in Jesus' name. Amen.